Hey, what's up, friends? Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 16, Keith Jeffrey. Now, Keith is the lead singer, guitarist, songwriter, and one of the founders of the band Atlas Genius based out of Australia. I talked to Keith on how they got started writing and recording their very first album in a studio they built, getting signed to a major label, and how everything came full circle on this album they just wrapped up recording. This is an episode you don't want to miss, so we're just going to jump into it. Episode number 16, Keith Jeffrey. Sometimes I geek out about guitar parts. I, I'm always listening. And what I loved about your guitar parts, they weren't just chords. Like they were very melodic. And it felt, I feel like when you comprised and wrote your riffs, there's a lot of breath, there's a lot of space, and you hang on certain notes longer. Is that a, a type of playing that you, you know, if we were to delve into it, kind of gravitate, or is that developed over time? We've joked about it before. There's not really, I don't think there's one song with a bar chord on any Atlas Genius <laughs> song. <laughs> um, so when we're writing, I mean, quite often it'll start out, and you're fleshing out the structure of a song, and then there'll be bar chords or you know, more traditional chord shapes instead of the fragments that you'll kind of find on the records. But it just wasn't satisfying for me. The, the sound, what came back through the speakers, it always felt a little too generic when if I didn't push past those chord shapes. And, and, and also quite often I like the interplay between one or two, you know, guitar and synths or two different guitars left and right forming the harmonic structure of the song and so it's not just down to one guitar um mm -hmm. and it just evolved that way i, I couldn't tell ex exactly as to why that happened um i just it basically i wasn't satisfied until i pushed it too far i i i get what you're saying with bar chords because sometimes they sound either you know, too, too generic, too proper, too nice. It's the same with sometimes open chords. It's just like, sometimes they sound a little clunky. And when I listen to your parts, they're, they're melodic. You can sing them back. And it feels like, you know, I could, I could listen to that as the start of the song, but when your vocal is entered and other things are adding and the layers are developing in the song, it's never front and center. It finds its slot in the song where it needs to be. And it's almost like Batman's like, when I need to be this, I'm this, I'm this. And then suddenly it's like when it needs to be the hook in the intro, that's what it is. But when your vocals come in, it just sits nicely in the back. Well, it was a conscious thing of never wanting to have two elements fighting. So it, say quite often at the beginning of a song, it might be a guitar that's leading in. It, it's, a, it's introducing the song. But then once that, that verse started, I didn't want to have a guitar that was competing for attention. That that's so cool. For me, you know, did this method of playing, how if we were to backtrack even further, you know, what was your introduction to the guitar and you know like as a means of songwriting? It's such a long and winding road because it's not um you probably wouldn't pick it. I mean, so growing up, my first guitar teacher when I was uh, maybe 12, he was really into guys like Robin Ford, like blues players, like really like progressive blues players, right? So the first song that I ever learned when I was 12 was a song called Talk to Your Daughter by Robin Ford, right? And mm -hmm. it is a real, even to this day, it is one of my favorite guitar leads. And there's really no chords on that song. It's basically, there's a rhythm section 
and he's sort of singing or soloing over the entire song. And so that was my – most people, you know, you learn here's an E chord and I'm learning <laughs> – I'm just throwing in the deep end with some of the most out there um, non-diatonic blues runs that, that I, you've ever heard. And, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing but but I could play it, right? So technically, it was I could handle the the notes. It, I didn't know why I was playing these notes, but that was something that over the years you kind of go back and and revisit and 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 try to decipher why why that worked. But so I started out with that, and then and then I got into so there were a couple of years of that, and then I put the guitar down because I got into surfing and and playing football, and and as a as a young kid, that was more exciting for a few years, and then around f- sort of fourteen, fifteen. I discovered Nirvana, and which is the other end of the spectrum when it comes to, you know, guitar playing. But that it was a, a light bulb moment of like, I mean, what is that? I need to know all about that and and how to do it. So Nirvana became my obsession, um, and that was that was really my proper like. The blues stuff, that was me going along with my dad and sort of I'm just playing guitar because it was a fun thing to do with my dad. But then Nirvana was my thing, right? And that, and that was when I kind of discovered guitar and, and, and really became obsessed with those basic shapes. But, but with, with him, it was non-diatonic as well, right? He wasn't, there's barely a Nirvana song where he stays in one key. So I found that really... Um, really interesting like what what is this guy doing you know and i don't think he even necessarily knew what he was doing it just he just it sounded good to him and he and he wrote these incredible melodies over the top of these chords you know from that is uh, i love that because you started guitar because you're like oh yeah and you know i'm doing this and it's a fun thing and then you stop and then you hear a song and you're like what is that that's yeah. it. But I it, need I need to start doing this again. And it was one of those moments that you hear other people talk about. Like they, you remember exactly where you were when you heard it. Like I know where I was. I know what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And and it was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I mean, because you know, and you gotta yeah. remember, this was coming on like right before that. You're listening to it's things like Cherry Pie by Warren, or you know, all these like Bon Jovi, all this like cheese ball. 80s rock and then nirvana comes along and it's i mean it was the antithesis of that i mean and this is obviously people know this it's been written about and spoken about a million times but it was it was the i i lived that i was one of those people that it that it changed me in in so many ways so that that's how i became really obsessed with guitar but then once again another weird turn i i (laughs) somehow i discovered joe satriani and steve Vai, and, and i was equally as obsessed with the technicality of those guys so I'm kind of learning Nirvana songs, and then I'm putting that, then I'm putting Nirvana down and learning how to play uh, "Surfing with the Alien" by Satriani. So it was very weird. Would you say it just became where it's almost like you're a music junkie? It's you're, you're just finding the things that you just enjoy, no matter what genre. It's just yeah. like whatever and, draws you. You're just like I need to understand that. Yeah, and there was, it wasn't about being cool because n- there's nothing cool about Joe Satriani when you're in high school in like in the 90s, but. But it, it was fascinating, right? And Steve Vai, you know, it was, it was Satriani and then Steve Vai was even more fluid. I listened to it and he was fantastic. And then, and then then you start forming bands and you realize that there's nobody in town that wants to play um, Satriani and Steve Vai songs. Um, and, and Nirvana songs, I mean, Kurt Cobain, he's got that covered. So 
that's when you start writing your own songs and, and, and trying to find what your voice is. Were you always in a band with your brothers or did it slowly evolve where it was just kind of like, ah, you know what? <laughs> it it evolved. Form a band. Yeah, it evolved. So um, initially it was a few different drummers. Basically, when you're a kid, you don't realize you need anything else but a drummer. So like, it was me playing guitar and my mate playing drums. Uh, no bass player, no vocals. Terrible. Um, <laughs> you know, not even knowing the same songs, basically just getting together yeah. and him playing the songs that he knows and and I'll play the other songs I know over the top and it doesn't really work. Um, and then eventually, um, you know, I tried a few different drummers and my, my brother started to pick up um, instruments. So um, it was gently guided, I think, by my parents. I think they could see the benefit of not having three guitarists in one family and sort of maybe pushing one towards drums and another towards bass. That and and so were your parents too very musical in itself where it was just like you were surrounded by music? I mean, I wouldn't say very musical, I think, but definitely musical. Like my dad uh, had a few nice guitars lying around the house um, and like really nice guitars actually. Well, I shouldn't just say it nice. I mean, one's a, a 1963 um, th- Gibson 345 just happened to be mm. – just sitting on a stand. It's not the, your average learner guitar, but um, so he and he was really into the Beatles, still is to this day, um, and and the Stones and anything sixties and seventies. So that was kind of like a lot of kids. That's what I listened to as a young kid, um, and it, it's a great, great starting uh, place. But um, it's a fantastic starting place for uh, songwriting, and just like you, you're just listening to things, oh, this is pretty catchy. They're pretty good at writing songs, and then you kind of evolve and you get into your own things. And your dad, if I'm right, you you guys built a studio together, which you recorded your first album. Yeah, we we built two studios. There were two versions of it, um, mm-hmm. and so it was a a brick garage, um, which is a really substantial building, and and. He sacrificed one third of that garage um, initially. We built a little, just a little control room, a little drum room, and just enough for three kids to to rehearse in. But it wasn't professional in, in any sense. Uh, and then years later, we gutted that and then took over the entire garage and and turned it into what is really a, a very professional, well treated acoustic space. So, which is amazing because that that album was pretty much everything recorded in uh, your first debut album in that in that yeah, space. Yeah, uh, everything except for the vocals for a song called Electric. Literally everything else was done. Sorry, I, I tell a lie. The vocals for Electric and also a few guitar parts. But everything else on that entire album was recorded in in Australia in that studio. That is so. <sighs> Because I think sometimes people go, ah, oh, you know, it, it needs to be in this, you know, needs to be here. It needs to be recorded here. But it's like, you guys built a great studio and you're like, no, we can do this ourselves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess as well as becoming obsessed with the different sort of genres, guitar genres and, and then how to record guitar, I, I, just the general science of recording became equally as interesting to me as as, as the actual playing. So... Um, it was, and living kind of out of the city, you know, at least an hour, hour and a quarter out of the city, there weren't many options. There weren't, certainly weren't any uh, professional recording options around. So it's really, you either do it yourself or it doesn't really happen. So that's the the beauty of necessity. 
Now, as you're writing these songs and you guys started around 2009, 2008, kind of in that in that time frame. Yeah, well, that record, as, yeah, pro- yeah, probably that record would be, I'd say, 2010 was when the songs that, fe- uh, there might be one or two songs that existed before that, but yeah, probably in earnest, probably 2010. As, as you guys were writing these songs and the song, did you start to realize like, these are really, like, this is something, not just like these are songs, but these are really good. Uh, I think you got to think, remember that like a lot of musicians, this comes, it's, it's a progression and you've got years of doing this, right? And playing shows in different bands and, and experimenting and, and really like most musicians, no one hears it outside of your family and, and close friends. So in a way, like a lot of songwriters, you kind of, you're beaten down by, um, <laughs> your expectations are beaten down as to as to what's going to happen with this. And you, obviously you're proud of what you're doing, but we very little expectations of anybody hearing it because um, because of that that road that most of us go through where you've really got to grind away and there's not a lot of um, recognition that, that we get as musicians for a lot. Of, and, and sometimes, you know, some musicians never get the, the recognition that they might be due. So... No, I didn't. We thought it was good, but that's kind of it. We didn't, we didn't know if it was special or if it would reach anybody. So as you put that, you know, that album, and especially you know the songs out, and then suddenly it became more and more receptive, and people were like, "Okay." And then, at what point do you remember where Warner Brothers was like, "Hey, this is we want you." <laughs> well, that was there were a few steps before the major labels started knocking on our door and and what what it was is that um it, it, it's the era where playlists are starting to happen and, and 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 blogs like music blogs really have a lot of sway right and so michael my brother the drummer he took the first song that we'd finished that we bounced out of logic which was called trojans which was mixed and mastered in that studio and he put it up on a few websites that were just um just databases basically where people could go trawl through and 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 look for music and and actually in hindsight maybe calling the band atlas genius starting with an a and putting which therefore by default puts it up in the top group of bands maybe that's why but but a blog found that song so a blog in new york found it and, and we weren't aware that this was going on of course we're probably sleeping while this was happening and and they 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 loved the song and blogged about it, and so then you, you sort of it's there was this viral spread, uh, not like a twenty twenty pandemic spread, thankfully, but it was a viral spread <laughs> of, uh, of, of, of of some uh, you know, attention on this song, yeah, and uh, and then that that led to labels going, well, what is this? Um, who who are these guys? So, and then we started we were inundated with record uh, labels emailing us. Going, who the fuck are you guys? <laughs> that is, you. Know, that's such an. It is an interesting era where, you know, something goes viral, and it's just like, what does that mean? Something goes viral. It's just like, mm. and that moment that they reach out to you, you put, and just when you t- told me that story, like you were like, ah, oh, here's a single. Okay, let's bounce it out of logic. <laughs> and I mean, then you just, just as simple as yeah. I mean, it's just in the same way that you'll bounce this podcast out you know afterwards it, it, it was that simple there wasn't there was no team there was no vetting um that we didn't have you know, external mixers and masters um so it's 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 an encouraging story when you think about what you can actually do 
on your own. That's refreshing to hear because I think people need to hear that because I think they 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 imagine their head. I need a marketing team. Uh, I need to stack my Instagram posts. I need to make sure this. And really, what it came down, you guys had great songs. You uh, knew how to record. You were aware of the the mixing and mastering process. You were also aware of arrangement. So when it came to arranging those songs, were you were was everyone involved? But was there one more that was taken more of the lead? And on the arrangement and kind of like where things sat. Yeah, I mean, I'll have to say that I that, that I was the driving force when it comes to pushing these songs. I mean, I would torture everybody with you know, okay, well, you know, like really long sixteen hour sessions where everyone's just dudes. Can we can we get can we go to bed? Um, and I was really, <laughs> especially once we realised there was potentially some kind of audience for it. I'm like, well, let's really make sure we do this right um so I, I i was just probably and i think i've chilled out a little bit when it comes to ironing out the bugs and, and maybe embracing the imperfection a little bit more now but especially on that first record it was i really just went over every every second of every track basically not just not just the overall track but you know the baseline what every little moment needed to be right um so that was my um that was my fault no, it's 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 because I think you're you were passionate about the songs and just like the way that they're presented. Because when you present a song to someone, you're like this this is a record version someone's going to listen to over. You want them to listen to over and over. So it's like every little space of real, I guess you know, space on that song matters. And you know, every little bit. And for your guitars, I you know, you're a, you're a Fender guy. And I am too. And I, I love seeing your, the tellies that you have. Did you, were you always kind of like just in that you had different guitars? You said your dad did, but you gravitated more towards Fenders, especially the Telecaster, like that, that sixties reissue. Yeah. I've got a, a, a few different versions of, you know, like 64, there's two of the 64 reissues that Fender did a few years ago, which were really great guitars. They stopped doing those um, a few years ago. They've gone more for like a generic sort of sixties and fifties, um, telly, but there's something about telecasters where, especially cause I'm a low gain kind of guy. And that's thanks to my dad. Actually, when I was a kid, like a lot of us, you know, you just, you, you crank that gain up and, but I remember playing a few shows and he was out the front and he's just like, I just can't hear guitar because it's so distorted that it's hard. You, the note, the differentiation between the different notes, it, it really gets blurred. And and I was too young to even think about that. But thankfully, he was just, dude, keep turning that gain down, keep going down. And, and, and thankfully, I, he was right. You know, when I look back now, the tone that I really like, it's when it's sitting right on that edge where if you dig in, it'll break up. And if you lay back, you can you can get a real clean bell-like tone. And that's, so Telecasters lend themselves to that because, you know, they're, they're a chimey guitar, but they've still got a fair bit of bit of bottom end too for a single coil, more so than a Strat. They were just that sweet spot. And also, and I, and by that point, and I've got to be honest, right, the reason I got a Telecaster was at that point I discovered Rage Against the Machine. I'm like, well, if this guy can make <laughs> a Telecaster sound like that, I mean, I need to get myself one of these things. So... That, it was as simple as that. That's why I bought a Telecaster. Uh, and you also use a Jazzmaster occasionally. I've seen yeah. in pictures just yeah. for a few songs in between. Yeah, I've got um, – I do love Jazzmasters, but they they don't um, 
the separation doesn't quite cut it compared to a telly. I do love Jazz Masters. I've got I've got a Jag. Jags are very much a um, sometimes food, but uh, and I've got a bunch of Strats as well. But yeah, tele. I mean, Telecaster. And a lot of people say this: a Telecaster is the desert island guitar. Assuming that desert island has electricity and a guitar amplifier, <laughs> like that's what you're going to take, right? So. That's uh, right there. That's all you need. So when you're comprising a guitar part, let's say, you know, if you take something like uh, your your second single, you know, early on, if so, yeah. what was it, you know, because I when I listen to your guitar lines and your parts, again, not chords. Like I'm thinking, I'm thinking, mm. oct- I'm thinking these cool leads and, and it's, and they're very fluid, they're flowing. And as you said, your your tone too is not heavily distorted. And I and that's where you can hear a clarity of the part, and you can hear the smoothness that that's happening in in between. But what is your take when you're comprising a guitar part together? Often, what I would do when we were writing, and still to this day, when we're writing a song, you'll have an idea of what the chord structure is, right? And that's what you're writing mm-hmm. the melody over. And then, so I'll often record a bass line over Mike's drums, mute the guitars that are there. And then, okay, well, how can we get across the harmonic content that you that need that you need to make sense of the melody over the top, right? Because everything's relative. So, what could I put in there that doesn't just sound like someone bashing away on some bar chords or some power chords or you know something yeah. simple? And then, whether that, what can I do? Like, you know, is it a couple of notes with an interesting delay, or you know, is it is it two different parts, you know, left and right, or? Especially on that album, the first album was really about that. And then, and then not being afraid to to throw things away, right? And try you can build it up, and then if it still doesn't feel right, then maybe uh, you know you throw those guitar parts away and try again. Or what often would happen is there'd be something that there'll be some part that might be the last thing you put on top of that sort of pie of ideas, right? This cherry pie. But then you might take away the entire pie and, and recreate everything underneath. <laughs> but there's something on top, like you wouldn't have come up with that little idea on top had you not gone through that process and that's that's kind of probably one of our secrets of the way that we put things together because sometimes even melody and lyrics don't exist until there's the right guitar part like with trojans there i don't think there was really a melody until all the guitar parts were in place and that inspired a certain melody so there's no rhyme or reason but i do really like the idea of of the production steering the the songwriting in in a in a certain direction rather than just sitting down and expecting that you're going to write the same song on an acoustic guitar that that you would if you had a drummer and a bass player and some you know some production well it's because it's it's vibe and feel i mean because if you're just picking up the acoustic yeah you can you can mess around with different voicings you can try to you know move things in other directions but you may fall into the same, you know, you know, rabbit hole, or just you know, you're gonna spin your wheels of just doing the same yeah, melody, the same thing. That's it. But and you suddenly, if you throw in a weird sound and you give a vibe production wise, suddenly it may unlock something in your brain that you go, "Holy shit, where was that?" And yeah. it was just like you needed that one little thing to just get it started. Exactly. It's that. It's in the same way that. Piano is not my first instrument, and I'm more proficient on guitar. So if I'm playing, you know, a C chord on a, on a piano can be magical sometimes, you know. Whereas you, you know, you play that on a guitar, you know, oh, whatever. 
and so it's a way of fooling yourself and and that's i guess in the same way and you hit the nail on the head it, it's that by finding the right production idea whether it's a some kind of crazy sample or whatever it might be to turn yourself on to that and ultimately it might still be the same you know baseline underneath it might be the, the underlying chords may be really quite simple but something on top piques your interest enough to to get you across the line and be able to finish that song so that it satisfies you um and that's what i'm always striving for because as someone who's played guitar for a long time now it can be pretty boring you know especially when you've sort of explored a lot of different techniques over the years because you were fascinated with say you know steve vai and, and gypsy jazz and and blues and whatever it might be it kind of not a lot of guitar kind of gets you excited anymore so um that's that and that's the benefit of being naive as well there's I, I was listening to a few of your other podcasts and people talking about that and the naivety that you lose when you when you start to spend a lot of time on an instrument is kind of that's a shame it, it'd be great to be able to get that back well i think when you said you know you go to the piano you said you're not you know you know you're stronger in guitar but when you hit a c chord you're just like oh it's like because you're not approaching it as a piano player that's been doing it for years you're just approaching yeah. it with like i'm gonna do it this way i'm gonna see what it sounds like and it's like oh shit that is that's that's <laughs> that's the thing that gets it started yeah um and I think that's the magic, what I love about songwriting, where it's just like, fuck around with it until it, it sparks something, until you, you, you're you pulled into a different direction and uncomfortably, where you're just like, I don't do this. Great. That's what yeah. you need. You don't need what you've done before. Yeah. And another way, another way, we're talk, I guess that we're talking about ways of kind of cheating the system or kind of getting around, getting through these blocks that we get. And Another way that I've found in recent years is if you find a good collaborator, if there's someone else who, say, I've got a good mate, Dave, who plays guitar, and he'll play a riff, and because I'm hearing it from outside, right, it's interesting to me. And I'm, I'm not thinking, oh, he's just playing, you know, F and G or whatever it might be. And so I'm just excited by the sonics, just in the same way that any listener would be. And so throwing the baton back and forth between you and another person i find is another way of getting around that fatigue that you can have with guitar it's it's like you, you've got a guitar accountability partner that just kind of goes like hey you should do this and it's like yeah you're right i should and especially when you watch someone else and you spend time with someone else that is so good you know proficient in their instrument but you you can bounce ideas off of they're the ones that you watch them do something. You're like, shit, I'm going to do that for the next 20 songs. I don't know what he did, but I really <laughs> like that. I'm just going to take that. Like, I remember I, I was talking to like, uh, it's like episode two, Ali Moss. And I was like, have you ever taken like an Ingrid Michaelson song? Like, you know, progression. She was, oh, totally. There was a progression that I loved. I just threw the capo up <laughs> like a couple notches. And I was yeah. like, I just wrote a different melody. Cause and I was the next it. two albums. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what I find really cool. So during this time of where music is kind of, you know, some things in music have been ground to a halt. You guys were finishing an album and I found it interesting. You guys, you were talking specifically, you were testing out different studios and you were like, nothing was sitting well. Yeah. And then you just came back to <laughs> the original studio and you were like, this has all the vibe and feel of what it needs to be. Yeah. And I'll, I'll I'll go back to at the beginning of the of the uh, chat today. I was talking about um, 
how we were able to do that first record and especially Trojans, right, which was actually mastered um, as well. So the whole process was it was in that one space. And then through the years of being in the industry and you know, being around, you know, your label guy, your A&R guy, and you've got, you know, a lot of different people, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, you kind of go, well, okay, it makes sense. I'll get a, I'll get a mastering engineer in. That's cool. And then, okay, well, let's get a mixing engineer in. Um, and then also let's, everything needs to be vetted by the A&R guy. Not, so not just the band, but there's the A&R guy and then there's the, the marketing guy. And there's all these, these layers of tiers of people that it need, a song needs to get through. And that's one way of doing it. But I've, we've done it before without all that. And you, and you remind yourself that, hey, I don't actually have to have that. And it may be beneficial to not have that. And that I think we're one of those bands that is better suited to having that control and, 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 and driving it ourselves and backing ourselves. Um, because I think, and, and I've got to say, I, I, I would bet that most musicians are like that too, that there's this industry that's built around us that doesn't serve us very well. And unfortunately or fortunately, um, you know, we've, we've kind of gone through, we've, we've gone through that and we've learned how this system works. Um, and it's not always, it doesn't always work in your favor. So going back home, you, you kind of, especially leaving Los Angeles as well, um, which is the hub of so much music and so much of the industry, you kind of remove yourself from that and you can just focus and go back to a place that's comfortable and focus on for us, what was has always been always been the crucial thing, which is the music. And you know, we've never been good with social media or anything like that. It's never it's never been an obsession of mine. It's never been something that I genuinely have just been fascinated with the music. So Australia seemed like the logical place to go back to and and to do this record. And then you've been driving across Australia, and you've just been picking spots that you're like, this is perfect. And then you've just been filming and recording one song, one new song each time. Yeah. Just the live version of that. What inspired you to just be like, you know what? I'm fucking, I'm just going to get in the car and I'm just going to, I'm just going to drive and whatever inspires me, that's, you know, where I'm going to film it. Well, the thought process behind doing it was, well, A, no one's playing shows, right? There was through this whole year, all, all festivals and tours were cancelled, so there's that that burning desire inside. Just to, let's, I want to play something. Like, and I can't be around other humans right now because we need to socially distance. And how can I do this? But how can I also make it interesting for not just myself, but for other people? And there's a lot of people at that point, and are still now actually just playing in their bedroom, which that, that's great. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But it felt like I was just going to be one of them, the many doing that format. So rather than sitting on my bed with a, a microphone and an acoustic guitar, I'd go for a, go for a drive and, and try and find some, some beautiful scenery and set myself up in that and then film it. Um, I'd seen a few people do like basic, um, outdoor shoots where it was a static camera. And I thought, well, what if we, what if we use a drone instead? And there was, and you'd have this reveal. So, okay, there's a guy sitting on a paddock or wherever he might be, but where exactly is he? And, and throughout the, the three or four minutes of that song, that's revealed. So that's what that's what I've done. I love that it also starts with the latitude and longitude of the spot that you're in. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I'm I'm promoting um, my country, right? So if, if anybody wants, if any tourists abroad see this, they're like, man, I want to. Where is that? I want to go visit that. So I've made sure you. There's no excuse to you. You're going to be able to find it. He's giving you the fucking coordinates of the exact. Because the first time I was like, is that lat- latitude and longitude coordinates that it's the? Be-? I was like, it is. Yeah. I was like, well, this, this is it makes. <laughs> but to me, that is just that's so. I don't know. It's it's different. It's innovative, and it feels like that's also to your approach to songwriting, your approach to guitar, your approach to the things that you do. You're like, yeah, I could play a song in the bedroom, or I could just go out and you know find a spot that inspires me. And I don't know what it what what have been some spots that you as soon as you saw it, you were just like right there. That it, it just like it just was like crying out to you. Oh uh, well, there are a few that. Because growing up in the area, right in, in that state, South Australia, I'm actually I'm currently in New South Wales because thankfully the borders are, have opened up. But um, new, uh, in South Australia, where I grew up, I knew of so many beautiful spots that just really don't get the attention that they deserve. The east coast of Australia, like Sydney, Melbourne, Queensland, they tend to get a lot of um, a lot of attention. But we're just far enough away that we kind of almost get forgotten about. And I'm like, there's some great spots here where I could show people where we're from. Um, and so there's some, you know, there's the cliffs that I, the first video I think it was that I released of If So, which is on these beautiful cliffs, which it could be, it could be Australia. It could be Scotland or somewhere. It's, it's incredible. And I, and I, I've hiked out there before and that was one place that, that I thought well, we have to do it there. But there's also, there was a pink lake uh, that we shot for for all these girls and i mean it's a pink lake's not a, not a common thing right so i'm like this is pretty cool people <laughs> need to see this i actually hadn't seen it before either well dude this is this has just been so good like talking to you your process i've i've been a fan and just you're 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 such an approachable person and taking the time to do this keith i really appreciate it because this was so good oh my pleasure What I love about hosting a podcast, every time we're about to record, we'll talk a little bit before and then we'll talk after. And after we were done recording this episode, Keith and I talked for a while. He was such a nice guy. It made me love the band even more. He's a vegan too. We talked about that. And if you haven't had a chance to check out the On My Own series he's been doing on YouTube, seriously, do that. Some of the views he's been capturing are amazing. So check that out. All right. Can you believe that 2020 is about to end. I know for some of us, this has been such a shaky year. It's changed so much how we do things. They've changed. And if you're a songwriter and a songwriting guitarist, you're not writing in person. You're doing it over Zoom. You're looking to build new skills. You, you, you've kind of been inside. You're searching for community. You want to reach out to other people. You want to connect with other songwriters. You want to build your network. You want to sharpen your skills so that when 2021, when those doors open to the world and we step out and we do things, you're fully equipped. Well, guess what? This month, I'm offering my membership for $1. The Songwriting for Guitar Insiders group is going to be $1. So if you want a community of like-minded songwriters, you want a new skill-building module every single month so that you can sharpen your skills, that you can hone in your craft, so you can take 2021 by storm, 
Just go to songrangforguitar.com, click the Insiders button, and when you're at checkout, go to the coupon and type in your year 2021, and you're going to get your first month of the Insiders group for $1. That's right, $1. Hey, that's all the time we got this week. Thank you so much for listening. This was edited and produced by Chris Fafalius. I'm Mike Myers. Until next time.